2: Welcome to the World Football Program 107.9 FM. We are on until 12 o'clock today in the studio. Myself, Penny Tanner-Hoth, Penny, Louis Prospero, Lou, and Yaz Phil, Is that how I say it? Is that right? That's right. Excellent. Sure. Welcome, Yaz. Thanks for coming into the studio and joining us for two hours of banter.
3: <laughs> Sounds like fun.
2: Yaz is from Fremantle City talking about the girls' program, girls' and women's program. And Lou is... Life member of Football West. I the am. The godfather of football. How's that <laughs> one, Luke?
0: <laughs> wow, <Well>, geez. <laughs> it depends on what the term foo- uh, godfather you actually mean by that, Pen. I'll,
2: I'll get some feedback on that one. Bring it on. All right, we've got a great show today. Lots of guests line up for you. First of all, we'll have a chat to Tommy Dolman, Football West match reporter, about what's happening in the local competitions this weekend. Neil Bennett, women's football reporter, Beyond 90, Perth Red Star... He'll be chatting about the women's side of things. Yasmin Philp in the studio will be chatting about what's happening in the Fremantle City FC women and girls space as the coordinator of the programs there. And we'll have a chat to local football historian Brett Klishnik about what's happening in the history space. We don't often talk about that. I think we should probably talk more about that and Lou will jump into that conversation as the Do you classify yourself as a historian? What is a historian? We should probably no, 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 no. What what is a historian? I wonder if
0: there's
2: an actual qualification for it.
0: uh, I think there is because there's these people who actually research um, all the history. I mean, it's I don't know if you've seen that show on SBS. uh, Who, who uh, you are?
1: Nope.
0: Anyway, there's a. There's a show where all these celebrities, they go back to their roots to find out where their family ancestry comes from. Um, And it takes them all over the world and they end up at these universities where there's these people who are historians that provide the information in the history and they go actually through newspaper articles backdated centuries and find information and, and, you know, can tie in... The uh, family tree is just amazing.
2: Trove is what comes to mind there. That's the government site that archives all of the old newspapers and I think they've gone back 50 years or something like that. In WA? Might be in WA, yeah. Um, I think they had to commission someone to do it and that's as far as the budget went, but I'm sure we can find out more about that. But... um but you find
0: most journalists end up being historians because they're yep. the ones who reported on the incidents over the years. So when you seeking, you know, information uh, and they're specialists in that particular field, then you will contact them um, yep. and rattle their brains.
2: Absolutely. And more guests on the show will be Tom Jeffcoat, who's the author of recently launched local book, Together, which I've just received a copy in the station this morning thanks very much Tom for that and a quick read, very interesting so there's lots happening in the football space thank you very much to our partners Futsal WA, Gate and Fence Hardware WA, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron Um, you can become a member at any time ring the station or contact the station Radio Fremantle and become a member it's about 30 to 50 bucks and that just helps us stay on air because we're all volunteers we just come and talk football because we love it no payment involved um been doing it for over 30 years now and it's you that helps keep us on air. So thanks very much for that. Uh, we're here because you support us. Really do appreciate that. And news this week, well, second-tier football, 26 clubs have been announced for the next phase of that national second-tier competition. None from WA, Lou. Um, seven from Victoria, one from Tasmania, two from South Australia, six from Queensland, eight from New South Wales and two from Canberra.
0: So It's a bit um, one-sided yep isn't it eastern state loaded yep so yeah very disappointing
2: yep more referee courses are running through Football West May 16 and 18 175 bucks for the course running at Gibney Reserve jump onto footballwest.com.au for more information very important Um, you will have found out through all the competitions now taken off here in Perth that um All games are covered. No, it's
0: getting less and less, unfortunately. And look,
2: what's the solution? The solution is we pull our fingers out and we educate our own referees within our club and we help ourselves. So that's the thing. We can't pull referees out of nowhere, so we're going to have to fix the problem ourselves. I think.
0: Well, uh, we spoke about this before. The Mm -hmm. deterrent is that people, you know, don't want to be abused and um, mistreated. So, you know, if you see it going on. Um, there's going to be, I believe, a a national um, forum on all sports in regards to referees and umpires to find a consistent and blanket... um, Solution? Not only solution, but deterrent of the way people are acting towards them. And um, because enough is enough. You know, you, you just... They're human beings. They make mistakes. Um, I remember making a mistake once in my career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, one or many, but you know, as I said last time, that you know, most junior referees are they're learning as much as the players are. Um, they they will get things wrong. Hopefully, during their career, as they uh, get more experience, they make less. But as I've also said before, you know, World Cup referees still make mistakes. So, you know, they're human. They've tried the VAR to eradicate a lot of those mistakes. But, you know, I think they just make the game a bit more robotic, you know. And it was interesting. I was watching Melbourne um, and Sydney last night. And you see, you know, one of the strikers, you know, four shots... At goal, one on target. So, is the, mistakes? Yes. Yeah. Is the is the players coach, make mistakes? Is the yeah. coach you know at full time saying, "Well, you know, you miss three yep. on target, right?" And
2: and the players going, oh, "It wasn't my fault. It was the ref."
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but what the point I was going to make was, does he berate his yep. striker for not putting them on target? I don't think so. Yeah. So, let's keep it in perspective Absolutely. and balance. We need referees. We need girls who are coming through as referees. Yep. We need boys as well. Um, and But, you know, there's a game for everyone. There's a game for juniors, for women, for amateurs, for seniors, vets, so on. Yep. So even if you're elderly yourself, you can always become a referee and take up the whistle and, um, yep. you know, and it is satisfying, it, you know, that after a game you've felt you've done a good job You've been, you know, out of not out of fear or favour. You've made a decision, right or wrong. and um,
2: I always thank the yeah. referee. Not everything goes everyone's way if you're a player or a coach or an administrator. you just got to recognise that people give their time. Yes, you wanted to jump in there?
3: I was just going to say, I think also we can support our referees. Um, you get so many complaints about referees not coming to games. But make your ref welcome. Make sure only your club rep is speaking to the ref and reminding people that, you know, they are humans rather than... You know, take a breath, actually speak to them calmly like another human rather than, you know, losing your top at them and yelling and screaming and it makes a huge difference to the ref's experience. I mean, yeah, you look at how people treat a ref, I can understand why so many people don't sign yeah. up for it. A-
2: absolutely, absolutely. Now, moving on, uh, Lou did touch on it. The A-League finals are underway. Semi-final space, what was the result last night? 1-1. One, one. OK. So Controversial penalty. That was uh, Melbourne and Sydney. Is that right? One
0: more. Melbourne City and Sydney FC. Yep. Yeah. The and penalty had to be retaken after it was saved.
2: Oh, because he was off his line?
0: No, encroachment from um, defender.
2: Ooh, okay. So Adelaide and Central Coast play tonight, and then there'll be Adelaide and Central Coast on the 20th of the 5th. So... Yeah, it's played night. over two leagues. Yeah. And the AFC Asian Cup draw is out in January, that happens. We're in Group B with Uzbekistan, Syria and India. We must be the highest ranked team out of all of that group. Uh, 24 teams in the Asian Cup. I think we will go to a break now because we want to catch up with Tommy very soon. This is Pen, Yaz and Lou. Stay with us. We'll be chatting more football very shortly. Thanks for listening in on the World Football Program. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tanner-Hoth, Pete Skeller... Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10 a.m. to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Program.
4: Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsal.com footswoolwa.org.au
2: Welcome back to the World Football Programme. Penn, Louis and Yaz in the studio and Tommy Dolman is on the line. Good morning, Tom. How are you going?
5: Morning, Penny. How things?
2: Pretty good. Pretty good. Lots of football to talk about. We were just lamenting earlier how Saturday mornings used to be shopping hours and nothing else and now it's football and nothing else. <laughs>
5: This. yeah I, I usually have to uh, I usually have to leave all that stuff for Sunday now um, all that sort of uh, beats and pieces where you try and sort your life out has to has to be put back as a day. um yeah plenty of football on at the moment penny I've, I've got a couple of games today so um yeah it's, it's just getting into that time of the season the uh, getting a little bit colder the games are coming thick and fast and it's all good fun
2: yeah what's uh, high up on the agenda for Tommy this weekend
5: um so I'll mention, so I've got a um, I've got an MPL women's game later tonight Perth versus Balcatta, but um, I'm also doing a MPL men's game at 3 p.m. And, and that one's between Bayswater City and Armadale, um, which I'm, it's a game I'm really looking forward to. Actually, it's first versus third in the lead. Bayswater red hot at the moment, four wins in a row, five unbeaten. Um, they've really sort of turned it around after losing their first two games. I think a few people had some concerns. Um, for them, a little bit in terms of the balance of their squad, but they've certainly hit back at the critics in fine fashion. And in terms of Armadale, they're the league's leading scorers. They've got 23 goals in seven games to start the season, and, and John O'Reilly continues to do a really good job there, having um, taken them to the Australia Round uh, Australia Cup round of 32 a couple of times in recent years. So, really looking forward to that one primarily today, I think.
2: There's some interesting matchups in the Australia Cup round, which is coming up uh, midweek. Is it Wednesday, Tuesday, and Wednesday?
5: fixtures yep yep so um i think there's eight fixtures in total we're at the round of 16 stage so there'll be four games on tuesday and four games on wednesday off the top of my head and um obviously they'll be they'll be spread around the whole state so um if if you still have time after doing your your shopping and and all that sort (laughs) of stuff penny i don't know where we all find it from but uh yeah tuesday and wednesday night you can also get out and watch some football as well if if you've not had enough of it by then
2: yeah, absolutely. So sitting on the top of the table, as Tommy suggested, is Bayswater, Perth Gorry doing a very tidy job this year, Tom, sitting second on the table, and Armadale, Stirling, Macedonia. I did notice uh, in the second tier football announcement that's come out this week, uh, there's quite a few club names with their ethnic origins in them. You know how we went through that phase of taking them all out and now they've come back in again?
5: Um, yeah, well, it's um, it's obviously great to see some of these traditional clubs um, putting their hands up to be um, part of the, the national second division. Um, a lot of um, supporters of football, um, not just in WA but around Australia, have fond memories of the old um, NSL days, and Jerry, um, and, yeah, it's um, some of the some of the atmospheres and some of the, the crowds that you sort of see from from back in the day. Um, I think a lot of people would, um, a lot of viewers anyway and a lot of lovers of football would love to tap into a little bit of that a little bit and, and sort of bring that into the, um, into the game as it stands at the moment. And I think it's something that's positive um, for, the, for the game in general, the, um, the introduction of this second division. Obviously, we're still waiting to find out what it specifically looks like. Um, but, it is, but, but I am sitting here with a little bit of envy, perhaps, that there is no sort of WA representation yes. at this stage of the competition, albeit I do understand why that is the case.
2: Yes, yeah, there's been a few rumbles of teams and, um, what do you call it, consortiums and, and so forth, but uh, yeah, nothing's... Well, we're it. going
0: back to the back to the NSL days, aren't we? You know, it's too far to go to Perth, you know, we can't afford to our team to fly him over and all this sort of stuff. So that's where, you know, the Perth Kangaroo started and we said, okay, well, fine, we'll go to Singapore. Then all of a sudden, Australia didn't want to lose the Perth connection. And brought us into the NSL. So, do we do the same thing with the second division?
2: Well, the FA Cup is a pretty good adventure, and the women are jumping in. Yeah, we didn't have that at that stage. No, you're right. no, yeah. we didn't. But uh, it's kind of a connect, isn't it, Tom? Where we've got the the cup, we go through all the prelim rounds, and then we start to play further afield. And now women are in it as well, which is fantastic, very exciting when that happens. So,
0: all about money.
5: Yeah. yeah yeah it's um i, I mean the australia Cup in general has been a fantastic competition i suppose it's just given us a little bit of a taste of um of, of those those suburban grounds and venues that we've perhaps not seen in the past and and it's also given clubs um locally an opportunity to test themselves against um higher ranked opposition um i know a lot of the clubs here in wa take it very seriously and they see it as a way to progress not only through the um through to the state cup final and and to win some silverware um as we saw Coburn do it last year and Armidale obviously made the final as well. They did it previously, um, but obviously then to go on and, and maybe draw an A League team or maybe have a trip away, and um, I think it's um, it's going to be great when it comes into the women's competition as well because I think we're always looking to try and find um, a barometer in a sense for where our teams stand on a um, Australia wide front. So I know in the men's side of things, um, I don't think we've had a team progress to the National round of sixteen since 2017 when Sorenso did it. So it has been a little while in between drinks, um, but it would have been interesting. For example, last season, to see that fantastic Perth Red Star side on, on in, sorry, that Perth Red Star team on the women's side, uh, who was so strong and obviously went through the season undefeated and won all those trophies. Yes. Maybe um, maybe test themselves against um, interstate opposition.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, what do you feel about the facilities upgrades that have been happening around the traps, Tom, um, coming up to our winter? Um, are we you know, are we looking in a better state than we were the year before and the year before that?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think any investment into local grounds is great. We've seen, obviously, Sorrento um, have been the beneficiary of some upgrades due to their uh, announcements of faity. Um Using their ground as a, as a training base to the FIFA Women's World Cup, Olympic Kingsway, similar as well, with Denmark using their grounds as a base. And, and also Perth, Perth Soccer Club as well has um, had, had a few little bits and pieces done to it as well, in terms of some new dugouts and, and things like that. So I think it's good to see that there's some, um, some different facilities being, um, sorry, the different facilities in, around the state are getting some upgrades of sorts. Obviously, we are overall. Um, probably underfunded in comparison to many of the other sports um, in the state. That's a conversation for another day. And for somebody who knows uh, the ins and outs a lot more than me. Um, but just in general, I think it's it's good that it's, it's at least some teams now are starting to get a little bit of a piece of the pie. And and hopefully um, just because one team misses out this time, it doesn't mean that they're not going to miss out a, um, a second time, maybe in a couple of years time, as long as they keep pushing and, and keep going with their plans.
2: Hopefully the Women's World Cup will add a little bit of extra dimension into that and push some funds via growth and numbers and et cetera and the lobbying part that will come thereafter. Tom, what about the Men's State League Divisions uh, matches around? Who, who's looking good there?
5: Uh, so the State League's quite an interesting division this season. Um, I think mainly because of the interdivisional playoff that's been introduced this season. So teams second, third and fourth in the Men's State League have an opportunity to go up... Um, the NPL uh, via a playoff, which is something we've not seen for, for a number of years. But what that's created is it's created a really interesting title race and a race for the top four by extension. You've got um, the likes of Mandras City, you've got Fremantle City, um, and you've got sort of Gwalup well Croatia, who came down last season. And, and Mom FC as well, under Taki Nekuladis, who are doing quite well. But Western Knights, the team who are leading the pack at the moment, they're five wins and a draw from their six games in 2023. Um, they've sort of just got under the radar a little bit. I think many people thought Mandurah City and Fremantle City, given the, the thrilling game they put on in the Night Series final um, earlier this year, I think everybody sort of looked at them and thought, wow, they're the two teams who are going to be pushing. But Knights have sort of just sat behind and gone, yes, that's that's fine, we'll just keep going about our business. And um, they're looking very strong. And um, we speak about um, teams who are sort of traditionally uh, known for being in the top flight of local football here, Penny. I think what, Knights would be a popular... Um, team um, for many to see return to the top flight here locally in WA, but there's a lot of water to go under the bridge yet. Um, Knights have got Fremantle City today actually, so that'll be a very interesting game and one which will impact the the title race somewhat.
2: So, did you just mention the first versus third game? Western Knights and Frio then? Yep. 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 Yeah, that's um, going to be the match of the round for sure there. And um, anything you want to pull out of the Men's State League Division 2?
5: Well, I suppose um, I suppose Kingsley West side of the team that are that are really humming along at the moment. Uh, they gave Perth Red Star a really good game in the Australia Cup about a month ago. They only lost four three to um, to the top four winners of last year in the NPL, and um, and this year I think they're six wins from six at the top of State League Division Two, and they're absolutely flying at the moment. Um, again, it's a little bit of a theme of the weekend, really top of the table clashes. They've got second place Morley Windmills, and. Um, Given that Caramar Shamrock Rovers and Curtin University have dropped points uh, in the past couple of weeks below Kingsley Westside, if they can get a win against Morley Windmills this week, they're going to go seven and seven from seven, and they're going to be mighty hard to catch um, based on what we've seen in the, in the first sort of third of the season.
2: Now, before we let you go, the Great Southern Regional Football Festival is coming up on the 27th. Is that two weeks' time? So. Yep. Um, there'll be a women's and a men's match happening down in Albany.
5: Yes, there will be. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm going down to do the commentary of that one. So very much looking forward to it. The, the regional games, one of the, um, the highlights for me, Penny. I've, I've been very fortunate. To, to, I went to Boston last year and um, and to Geraldton the year before. And it's just good to sort of... Um, um, just sort of get around the communities a little bit and just sort of see what the uh, what the for football is at in those regions. And, and I can tell you it's most definitely high and um, I, I didn't get to go to Albany um, a few years ago when it was last year, so very much looking forward to going down and checking out the facility there and um, as you mentioned we'll have a um, an NPL double header. The women's will be Hyundai NTC versus Perth Red Star. So, I mean if you look at the team, uh, the, league, the league table, that's going to be a real special game. It's, it's two teams who are doing really well in the women's competition at the moment and then the men's game will follow after that. That'll be uh, Perth Glory versus Sorrento, which is um, the matchup that we've seen I think for the past six years of the regional fixture and um, it's been pretty even over the years. Um, both teams have sort of fluctuated in the league standings and, um, and, and as a result it's, it's often been a bit of a topsy-turvy game. So um, yeah, always looking forward to, to getting down and, um, and checking out those ones.
2: Yeah, that'll be a pretty exciting space. I assume it'll be down at the, the hub of uh, the sports complex down there, the hub of football and everything. So there'll be lots of space for um, public to come along and watch the football.
0: Well, it's a big community out in the regional areas as well. Yep. you know, Albany, I remember that. Albany and uh, Geraldton Lafayama used to be in the state league. So, yep. you know, a good trip. yeah, home and away was a bit of a problem for them, more more so than the metro. But, you know, to go down to Albany and um, to, to Geraldton's a fair drive. It
2: is. Know. Tom, enjoy the bus trip, uh, whether it be with the teams or without. Uh, and um, we'll look forward to some commentary when you come back. Thanks for joining us today.
5: No worries. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, everyone.
2: Good on you, Tom. See ya. It was. Tommy Dolman, match reporter for Football West, he gets out and about and going down to Albany for that great Southern Regional Football Festival, May 27, so um, on the road then. um, I noticed that the NPL fixtures for the women are often spread out through the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is pretty good, um, especially right in the middle of winter when... Things get tight and there's games that are postponed and there's night games. We've got lights. There's more facilities available to spread things around, the artificial surfaces and all these kind of things. Help that they weren't happening maybe 10 years ago. They certainly are now.
0: Well, I remember in Bunbury and Geraldton specifically, once the wind starts blowing, the ball can go anywhere.
2: (laughs) (laughs) End up in another state. (laughs) Home team
0: advantage. Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah.
2: Um, we are going to go to a break and come back and have a chat with Neil Bennett, and chat about women's football side of things. This is Pen, Yaz and Lou on the World Football Program. Thank you for listening in, and stay tuned. One
5: hundred and seven point nine FM, your local station.
6: Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Hi,
7: I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out a-leaguestats.com. My website, where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in.
2: Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 9258 6822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor.
4: coaching football? Is it about leading your nation or giving back to your community? Is it about inspiring the next generation or just spending time together?
7: Find out what coaching football means to you. Visit
4: myfootballclub.com.au.
2: That was Ange Postacoglu, that was when he was in Australia, that was a few years ago now. I like playing the old ads, still relevant. This is Penn and Lou and Yaz on the World Football Program and our guest up next is Neil Bennett. Good morning Neil, how are you?
8: I'm good Penny. how are you?
2: Yep, pretty awesome, talking football is always a good thing, lots to talk about. Um, Sam Kerf, flag bearer at the King's Coronation, who would have thought, I bet when she was playing football when she was younger she would never ever have imagined herself being in that position.
8: Absolutely not. Uh, I think that that's uh, not just uh, the way that she has uh, grown her career, but also the, the standing that the game has. Now, I mean, um, I can recall seeing her running around as an under-12 in a state team. And even then, you knew she had something special, but uh, no, you'd have never seen that one. Never in a million years.
2: Yep, she's just been... Uh Appointed as Footballer of the Year, is that the second time she's won that in a row? Yeah, in a row. Yeah, there you
8: go. Yeah, yep. and and the uh, the male ca- counterpart, uh, certain Alfinger Harland, he uh, he offered her his congratulations, which is sort of uh, a nice counterpoint to all the controversy during the week, wasn't it, with that uh, comments by Robbie Slater and the way that she reacted to that. I think that was uh, it was a nice touch by uh, by Harland just to recognise that she's a champion as well.
2: She certainly had a photo taken alongside some pretty amazing footballers in her career. Wow! Yeah, I mean,
8: yeah, some stories she's, to tell uh, the
2: grandkids or the the nephews or nieces or whatever one day.
8: Yeah, definitely. I think she was on the cover of uh, FIFA 23. I think with Karlie uh, Mbappe. So <laughs> that's not not a bad achievement, is it? Yeah, remarkable, uh, incredible footballer.
0: Well, maybe we should turn that around. That these players are having photos with Sam Kerr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, honestly, it, it's a shame, you know, from an Australian point of view, we don't put these people on the pedestal that they deserve. And it's only when they're recognised overseas then we think, oh, wow, how proud are we of these people? But, you know, we should be proud of them from the outset set because, you know, they are. They're superstars yeah. living their own code or...
8: Yeah. It's a change. Well, for though, how isn't it? long? Yeah, I mean, for how long was she referred to as Daniel Kerr's sister? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, she, well, she was yeah. always the sister of an AFL player, even when she was a, a Matilda. But uh, I think it's gone the other way now. I think Daniel Kerr is Sam Kerr's brother.
2: Yes. Yes. Yep. And um, more on the English football is the <coughs> Women's FA Cup is at the Wembley Stadium, um, <coughs> and everyone knows the Wembley Stadium, which is pretty cool that women and football are associated with Wembley Stadium in the same sentence these days, and it's a sold-out FA Cup. It's pretty amazing. It, so, Chelsea yeah. against Manchester United, how cool is that? I wish I could transport a beam over to England every time these matches happen. Very uh,
8: yeah, well, I think I, I think you can watch it. Um, I think it's on one of the streaming channels. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's incredible that we've got... Uh, 80,000 fans are going to be watching that. They had a sell-out for all of the... Uh, Europa Championship games that that England played in as well. Um, Not quite the same numbers, but there was a record in Scotland for a game, for for a women's game, over 9,000, watching Celtic play Glasgow City. And uh, Jacinta Gallabaracci, she she was playing in that game
2: Ah, is that
8: weird? Yeah, um, and in fact, she's just sort of come out this week and said that... um, She can't see that she's going to get a look in with the Matildas, so she's going to uh, put a hand up to be selected for the Argentinian national team. Ah, Uh, yeah, Uh, a bit of a shame, but I think given the strength of uh, the Matildas midfield, it's hardly surprising that she wasn't getting a look in.
2: Absolutely, Matildas are looking very solid, and well, I, I must admit I had my doubts about how things were, maybe. 12 months ago, but... Uh well, even
0: recently when they lost against Scotland of all teams. But anyway, they, they turned it around and yeah. beat England. Yeah. So sure, let's see. they got the capacity to, to be um,
2: beaters of the best.
0: Yeah, and when the coach says, oh, we're still experimenting, you go, oh, yeah, we've heard that one before. Mm-hmm. But hopefully he might be right. And he's finding the combinations now that we can be a force in the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, it'd be fantastic if we are getting the final. Yeah. Could you imagine?
2: It would absolutely and what
0: and we could i don't I can't see any reason why we can't,
2: yeah, it's a bit of a concern of some of the major injuries that are happening around the globe at the moment, and i I see that as um be, because the intensity of women's football calendars is becoming such that you know they're playing their local competitions and they're playing their uh intercontinental competitions and their international fixtures as well, so the scheduling's getting quite a lot and I don't know, I think maybe there's some more that we need well, to do. Well, what a good
0: problem to have. Before, we could, they couldn't even organise any games well, for them. Yeah, but now yes, we've got too much. Just so. got to find
2: the balance for the bodies. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, the rehab is a long time. An ACL is six to nine months. Um, if everything goes well, uh, we know that Ellie Carpenter's coming back on track and she's going to be playing again for the Matildas. We all love Ellie and the dimension that she adds to the team. Um, but there's other players for the US and, and England, that have done, have players that have done their ACL, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's major. I mean, maybe too Neil, maybe you can comment on this, but players have always been injured playing football, but because it's now in the media more often, we're hearing about it more often.
8: Yeah, I think that's the case, and, you know, it's a good point that you raise about the intensity of games. Um, Arsenal have had four ACLs in this season alone, um and me being one of the one of them and uh england players as well in the arsenal squad so it is an issue um you know unfortunately uh i've got first-hand experience of it of what a player goes through with uh my daughter going through her rehab and um you know it's painful to watch and it's not a, an injury people say oh it's an acl and they'll be back but there's no guarantee and um there's a lot of hard work that these players have to go through. And um, I think the good thing, though, for the elite-level players is the level of support that the clubs are now giving them in that rehab. They have access to the same medical facilities, hopefully. Certainly in the Women's National League in, in England, I think they get the, the resources that the men get. And that's got to be a bonus as well, because it does help with them getting back to full fitness as quickly as they possibly can.
9: Yeah. It's
0: a
8: very painful but- in, in,
0: injury as well, isn't it?
8: It is, yeah. Incredibly painful, yeah. And I don't think you can underplay it. And there are a number of players. Kim Carroll uh, has had two knee, constructions, uh, knee reconstructions. She's back playing uh, and will be playing on Sunday after a you know glittering career in the A-League. But she had two knee reconstructions very early in her career. Um, so a lot of players do have to go through, unfortunately, it's very, very painful injury. And the more research we can do into it to try and mitigate it, but then over the weekend, a West Coast Eagles player went down with an ACL as well. So, it's it's a unfortunately it's a it's a risk associated with high level sport. I think.
2: Yes, and uh, thoughts go out to two players I know of locally that have got uh, knee injuries, uh, B. Peruti and uh, Jasmine Blankendoll, who formerly played for Mum FC and is was playing with. Uh, but uh, both are on crutches at the moment. So take it easy, do all your rehab, ladies, and get back into playing football when your body's ready. And just, by the way, the Women's FA Cup in England is tomorrow, and I'm pretty sure it is on a streaming platform of some kind, but I'm just not sure which one. You'll just have to do your homework on that.
8: I think I think it's Paramount Plus. Okay. They cover the uh, the women's WSL, so I think they'll probably be covering the FA uh, the Cup as
2: well. I'm very happy about that because I've what just signed What time to kick off? I do not know. <laughs> okay. Neil, no. you're going to have to help <laughs> uh, oh, oh, me I'll find the link and put it on the World Football page. Yeah. Okay. yeah,
8: I think they're usually about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so I think that's a uh, much more traditional uh, in the women's game than it is with a man when they move it around all over the place. But I think yeah, three
0: o'clock. So something around about ten o'clock in the evening, Perth time. Yeah, yeah the the men's FA Cup was great when it was three o'clock kick off, ten yeah. o'clock for us, yeah. and you know. But now it's midnight or two o'clock in the yeah. morning. So yeah. Mm. yeah,
2: just uh, landing yeah. in the local football space, Neil. Um, FIFA visited Perth this week just to check out how things <clears> are, are going. And well done to Sorrento; they get an award for their. Um, or their work in the girls' football area and the Go Girls program?
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, you know, the, the facilities are looking great. Um, so the the one facility today is going to take a real hammering, though, at Dorian Gardens. They've got uh, all of the men's games and the uh, NPL women's games, one after the other. So five games uh, with the women taking, a, uh, senior women taking to the field at 7 o'clock this evening. So that's going to be a real test of that pitch, but... Yeah, they're all looking good. I suppose that they'll
2: have a break, won't they, at some point soon to allow that pitch to be used. I think Sorrento is already having a break and their fixtures have been reallocated away to keep it in place. Yeah, so
8: the first seven games of the season for Perth uh, in the NPLW have all been at home. I think that was the case for all of our men's games as well. Uh, so this may be the, the last certainly for the women, I think, but then... Um,
0: yeah, strip it right, that, right back to the <laughs> the soil with all
8: those yeah, games on it. Yeah, they, they, they might do, yeah, yeah, <laughs> although... Um, yes, but they've got time now. I mean, the, the World Cup doesn't come around for another six weeks or so. Seventy days, I think I saw the other day. Um, so, yeah, there's time for it to recover. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the dugouts are looking great, and by all accounts, the changing rooms are really good at Dorian, so... Um, um, all the facilities looking really good and fingers crossed State Football Centre
2: up and running in the not-too-distant future. I, I hate what you just said then about fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's,
0: well, that's really a problem with there. construction sites, though. Thinking you know, they're out. always, yeah. look, you know, they're always delayed.
2: The I, grass is looking yeah. really good there. Well, okay, so well, that's, that's the main thing. Don't worry about grass.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> So, nobody can watch and yeah. play, but the, the, the pitch is good. good. Yeah. yeah, it's a training facility, I think. So, um, you know, the, the, as long as they've got somewhere to change and they've got somewhere to run around on, they'll be
8: happy to expand, to probably a, a secondary uh, in, importance. But, yeah, uh, word I've heard is it, it'll be ready to go. Um, and also, we'll be ready to, uh, to host all of the cup finals for the local competitions at the end of the season.
2: Fantastic. Yes. Um, on the local WNPL, uh, stage we've got Perth Soccer Club sitting on top of the table and Perth Red Star, um, same amount of points just below them. Neil, match of the mm-hmm. round this weekend.
8: Um, I think um, I think the one at Red Star Arena. To be honest, and uh, I think the, the game between uh, Red Star and Frio uh, so could be a point. really yeah a really good game. Um, Kim Carroll back for for Red Star. Shivani Batalia is back in goal for Red Star as well. Um, Tash Rigby, Abby Green all played last week. Um, but one that slipped under the radar, um, was Karis Hawkins. Um, she had an excellent first half last week and then, um, was, uh, given a bit of a rest at half time. But she's got all the experience in the world with, you know, over 60 games for Glory and a, a Welsh international. She has a little bit of solidity at the back there for Bria. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Um, both teams. Playing good football, um, good result for mum last night as well. I must say they're, they're beginning to impress me. The midfield's looking really good there, uh, coming over a tough Subiaco side two-one. Um, Perth then against Balcatta. Balcatta really need to win that one. Um, they're, they're not going all that well at the moment. And then we've got um, NTC against Curtin, and you know you just can't see anything other than a very large score again. For NTC against Curtin, um, 56 goals against in six games, it's not a good look, um, but it is what it is. And I'm sure NTC will be keen to, to boost their goal difference as much as they possibly can.
2: Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and we did mention with Tommy earlier that the Great Southern Football Festival is happening mm. in Albany, and that is NTC and Red Star.
8: Yes, 27th, uh, they go down and play down there and in the men's it's uh, Sorrento and Perth Glory so it's great that they go down to the regional centres um, and, and play down there so the locals down there can get to see and um, they'll see some very very good football out of those two teams in the women's game at least anyway uh, and I'm sure in the men's game as well with Perth Glory and Sorrento but uh, certainly in the women's game uh, probably the two you know I wouldn't say strongest but best passing teams in the league um, going on all the stats and everything I Perth Soccer Club would probably have something to say about that as well. But those three teams have really set the standard in this campaign and it would be a great great spectacle for everybody down there.
2: Absolutely. And the table for the WNPL at the moment is Perth Soccer Club on top, Red Star, then NTC, Fremantle, Mum FC, Balcata. Did I get that right? I think I've stopped at the bottom of the table. Yeah,
8: Yeah, and then uh, uh, Subiaco Subiaco. and then Curtin. Yep. I think one of the other things as well for the for the league this year uh, for the campaign is perhaps a little bit more attention being put onto the women's league uh, division one because promotion and relegation comes into it this year. Yep. So who's going to come up? Um, I don't think there's any doubt that currently going to finish last, but um, you know who's going to replace them? And Hammersley and UWA are both unbeaten at the moment and both doing very well in the competition. So you know we we'll, we'll see how the the league pans out next year, but either one of those two teams would be uh, would be welcome additions into the league. I think at the moment.
2: So what are you what are you calling that next league down?
8: It's Women's League Division One.
2: Women's League Division One.
8: Yeah.
2: Everybody's calling it something different at the moment.
8: Well, that's the name it's called. Yes.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I understand that. It's just that because we transitioned from. Um, the league's last year, state league, and then whatever it was underneath that, um, people are just saying... Which women's league is it? Central League? Yeah. Women's League, Division 1, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> who's sitting on top of the goal scoring at the moment, do you know?
8: In the NPLW, I think it's Ellie Lamont. Um, so I think she's got seven goals. And um, uh, I'm not sure how it turns out, because unfortunately, <laughs> Squatty is... Uh, <laughs> It's not the best in giving you the statistics that you need when you're trying to commentate on these things. But uh yeah, I believe Ellie's there. Um it, I mean, that's gonna be skewed by any goals you score against Curtin. Uh, and that's that's the shame of it. Um you could score four or five against Curtin and all of a sudden your numbers boost right up. Yes. Um but yeah, Ellie's having a really good season. Um and um there's a great player at Red Star as well, uh, who nobody would probably have known too much about. Certainly we didn't before she arrived. there. Uh, Raina Kagame um, a midfielder she scored five in two games now and um, she's um, she's a really really quality player um, so she may have something to say about it as well but uh, tanika Lala has just um, gone off to Scotland I believe um, on trials so she's out of the NTC squad at the moment right she would have been another you she would have been another one you probably thought would have been up there in the running uh, Jamie Duncanson from uh, Perth soccer club is also uh, doing very well in the last couple of games. Uh, she scored four against Curtin last weekend uh, and had a couple in the win that they had uh, the weekend before. So she's another one. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, we're going to see some some interesting bowl-scoring uh, numbers this season, I believe.
2: Neil, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. As always, bring on the Women's World Cup and don't forget to make sure anyone who's a female, who's a mum in your surrounds, gets their happy Mother's Day wishes.
8: Absolutely, yeah. A lot of games being played tomorrow, so there'll be a lot of mums on the sidelines and there'll be a fair few playing as well. So have a great day, everybody.
2: Good on you. Thanks, Neil. See ya.
8: Thanks very much, Penn. Cheers. Bye-bye.
2: That was Neil Bennett, women's football reporter, Beyond 90 and Perth Red Star man as well. We'll go to break and we'll come back and chat more football. Of course, this is Pen, Yaz and Lou on the World Football Programme. We'll be back. Have a good chat about Fremantle City and their girls and women's program. Stay tuned.
1: Radio Fremantle, one hundred seven point nine FM. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and Raw I to see everybody
10: from behind. Oh, Fencing and Raw is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install, or automate your gates. Offer electronic security, or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Time. Call us on 9258-6822. Station
1: sponsor.
7: Going out on the pitch with your friends is always an amazing feeling.
4: I train a fair bit, but when you're doing it with your teammates, it's a lot more fun.
7: Having that camaraderie brings out the best in everyone, knowing that you're working together to achieve something.
4: And you know that you have faith in your teammates because you guys are so strongly bonded together.
7: You're just playing with friends, enjoying the game, having a laugh, you can't beat it. Have fun, make friends, keep active, play football.
4: Everybody has goals. Whether it's learning a new skill,
5: or passing on knowledge, making new friends, is it finding a career path, or reaching your
4: full potential? Provence! Chase your goals. See
3: where football can take you.
2: Welcome back to the World Football Programme. Penn, Lou and Yaz in the studio with you. And I did want to mention the Women in Football Leadership Conference coming up. It's an online event by Women On Side. If you go to their website, Women On Side, you can find out who is in that and register. It is a 10am to 2pm online event and it has such inspirational people chatting as Joe Fernandez, Joanna Woods, Ray Dower, Kate Jackowicz, and so forth. That is Women in Football Leadership Conference 25th of May. Now, moving on to more women's football. Yasmin Philip, Fremantle City FC, Women and Girls Coordinator, which gets shortened to WAGS. Don't say I love that title, but nevertheless. <laughs> what does that involve at your club? It um, sounds like it would be a big portfolio. It's huge. It's huge. And with the World Cup coming up this week, um,
3: this year and all the extra events, I've actually had to wrangle in a little bit of help mm-hmm. um, to help run, run some of the things. But it's pretty much trying to have an over picture of all of our girls teams all of our women's teams and making and just getting them up and running and being all the resources that they need plus all the promotional stuff and all the other things that comes through the club of all the messages they want to share which means my phone is running hot frequently i have a question for you is there one boys and men's coordinator so we've got the benefit of having that a little bit more split we have someone overseeing junior leagues um, we have some sort of on the pitch and someone in the back office um, and a bit the same with our MPL. we kind of have two people covering it. Um, I'm probably covering a little too much at the moment, but definitely looking for help. Um, but yeah, it, uh, we all kind of sit at the one board, which is
2: a wonderful brains trust. Yep. But yeah, it does. Uh, it's a big portfolio. It is interesting to see how clubs have grown in the past five to 10 years or so and how they're accommodating. Are they... Um, with forethought, planning ahead, and putting structures in place, or are they just responding to things as they happen ad hoc? How's your club responded to the growth? Well, I've
3: only been at Fremantle; it's my second season there, um, and we are having to, and that's is definitely shown. We are trying to keep up with the growth. Um, we've now got well, we've got ten girls' league teams. We've got two in the academy that are new this year, plus the seven women's teams. We are, it is getting very big and very busy, um, and having to really engage all the staff to try and run across the board. I've had to uh, definitely jump in on some more resources to try and keep over it all. How are you going with pitch space? Is, War, is Warhop the main? See, but well, this is the, the we talked about uh, renovations. Warhop has had wonderful resurfacing and renovations done. Complete overhaul in the off season, which of course ran behind as we talked about construction. Will be amazing next year. But we actually have hops pretty much off limits. Um Ooh. yeah, we're tri- got one of our some of our junior teams training on uh, we've got our women's training on there and a couple of junior league games on a Saturday morning, but the rest of us had had to redistribute. So it has been some a few growing pains. Um we're also getting the club rooms redone down at Warhop, so, which is, of course, construction behind
2: a little bit. Is there going to be, like, an elevator or something from the top <laughs> to the bottom? <laughs> <laughs> there has been all sorts of wonderful talk of
3: ideas and budget spending. Um, but, yeah, we space is a huge issue for us. And also um, at Fremantle City, we're actually capped in the numbers we can have. Um, our council's are amazing and supportive, but we have got huge growth issues. I mean, they're talking about an extra 30% of girls coming in after the World Cup. Hmm we're going to be struggling to put them anywhere. What's your numbers now? Give us
2: an idea of girls, women, boys, so the men. What have I
3: got? I've got about 120 in the girls' league. Um, then I've got few in academy. I've got girls through the um, junior league as well. Um, and then we've got, yeah, the seven women's teams as well um, with, with varying numbers depending on the size of them. So we've got some pretty big numbers down there. Um, and then we have, like, 70s team for the generic and junior leagues across there as well. It is nuts... I've got like 107 just in my seven to uh, four to seven year olds 96 in my eight to nines which all have girls mixed through those like 160 in academy 60 odd um the npl leagues 140 in junior leagues like the numbers are just what's the total numbers
2: for the club do you reckon oh i did not calculate that one (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure uwa would be probably one of the top three or the biggest by by numbers they have a massive junior program um I think they're up around the fifteen hundred mark. Someone might need to. No,
0: know, I think help me Perth up. had about two or three thousand. The, the what? Prop, the thing is that we are a victim of our own success as far oh. as football. It's growing exponentially, and there's not enough land to build houses, no alone.
9: Yeah, uh, green, green space.
0: Green space, and you got. Other sports that are inflicting yep. their will on their councils own as well. Yep. Yeah, and some of the clubs. some are, some are actually declining. But but now you've got that extra space of uh, rugby union pushing, rugby leagues pushing now, which weren't big in this state, but now they're starting to grow as well. And the problem is, the council's got this juggling act. Well, who do we give what and? Now they talk about ground sharing, which you know, a lot of clubs don't like to mm-hmm.
3: do. But we've also got issues like some of the councils are actually having to cap club numbers to try and manage this issue yes, um, which really makes it hard because you want to bring on more teams but to bring more teams on you'd actually have to say goodbye to teams. So I know a lot of clubs are really struggling with their venues um, and particularly with the great growth in, in women's football and girls' football because we've got them starting younger and younger so the future is so exciting. Um, it, is, it is.
2: Venues are, are, are a huge issue.
0: Yeah, um, and you can't produce more land. I mean, the only thing is is when
2: cage, I guess... Cage football. On top of buildings have you heard of the cage football
0: i've seen it in yeah. asia <laughs> i've seen it in I asia every little have to bit of space up with
2: these ideas though aren't we if we want more space we want the kids to play football we want them to be healthy and engage in life we've Correct. got to come up with different solutions
0: yeah but you can't you can't sort of have that cage football as a sanctioned game No,
2: understood. Uh, yeah, yeah. so that
0: that that becomes like you know, something that you play during the course of the week. But, you know, the official games obviously has to be on a grass field, so...
3: But even more training pitches would go a really long way. I mean, you are talking about we want people to engage, um, particularly we to try to allow for the growth in the women's football, you know, their act, belong, commit. We've got the, the ability to have your kids down there exercising, someone who notices if they don't turn up. Um, it's just amazing for their mental health as well as their physical. So we're trying to really push that and really keep girls engaged in sport, but we do have... We
0: need more room. <laughs> I don't I, I don't understand why the state government doesn't allow um, clubs to use their schools, for example, for hasn't training. It,
2: hasn't it been an insurance
0: thing? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, then they could work through that, surely. I mean, the insurance industry, that's a whole different topic because they're pricing out a lot of activities that people would love to do but they can't do because the businesses or the government uh, are worried about the insurance claims but yeah I, I just don't understand that. And we've
2: if, talked about it for years haven't we really I mean I've talked to Pete Rickers and uh, Wayne Basin in the school space and we've talked about these things and then we've talked to Football West uh, coaches and Football West administrators and we've articulated this is something that we could probably both benefit from but here we are still talking about it Well this it is what, it,
0: well we talk talking about kids health we're promoting... We want to get them off the, the TV screens. Here we are, given the, given the opportunity, but then now we're restricting numbers and they say, I want to play football, so say, sorry, you can't. Yeah. We don't have... You know, we we've come to our cap.
3: With the, with the um, Warhop being renovated this year, we did send, have to send a lot of our teams off to, to try and do their pre-season elsewhere, um, which was really challenging and liaising with the schools, but for the schools, it is. It's about the insurance. A lot of them were more than happy to, to help us out, but insurance was the first question that came up and really we need to be registered in order to then have our insurance. So it was a cascade pre-season of of events. It makes it tricky, yeah.
0: Well, surely there's somewhere in the space that the insurance companies of the club and the schools can meet together and say, "Okay, we'll create this sort of cover for these activities. Surely there's a compromise somewhere.
2: Who who, who knows? So... Um, in the Fremantle space, uh, you've got Warhop as pretty much being off limit, so, Does that mean you've had to do some fast talking to other sports in the area to utilise spaces that you don't normally utilise or you've been more creative about the space you got?
3: There's some amazing creative people in lots of meetings um, and and our teams are having to be quite flexible. Um, Unfortunately people aren't getting chosen training days which is growth pains for the greater good, the greater good. Um, But everyone's been really great. Um, We're using Ken Allen, we've got um, trying to sneak in on there a little bit, we've got Bruce Lee and Hilton are all being used to their absolute capacity. So it's been amazing to see a team pulled together to try and make sure that everyone has space.
2: Bruce Lee, is that's where the old TAFE was, I think, has been demolished now, and uh, the Fremantle Fiverr site has been conducted for nth number of years. Where does that fit into Fremantle City? Is it part of the Fremantle City... It's a part of the Fremantle City culture. It's not
3: um, a part of the club. It's one of our um, major founders do, does run it. So I'll, we have huge representation down there, but it's not actually a part of the, the Fremantle program, but certainly um, definitely part of the culture that players um, jump onto that one in yep. the off-season. I, I
2: feel that that competition is uh, a, a Melville versus Fremantle, a Fremantle competition because <laughs> there's so many teams from both clubs compete down there. It's uh, an amazing uh, football competition and you have the... The coaching programs that happen in that space as well um through the summer i think yeah um and look are.
3: we've gone on to to be inspired by that type of thing we have like our seven aside women's now um for people who are sort of trying to come back to football or new to football for for old, for our older players um getting outside the youth space which is great to give them an opportunity to exercise and that's come from the same sort of design features there as well is that down at bruce lee um, we're trying to run... Well, yeah, that's down at Bruce Lee now as well. So we're running lots of little development programs where we can. We had the um, Glory um, Academy running a, a program down there as well. Um, we're also running programs out of Hilton. We've got the Tuesday Fundamentals. We're trying to get some women's um, and girls' programs running for development there on Monday nights as well. So it's, there's lots of opportunities. We're sneaking in every little space. We've got a um, female-only sort of coaching course coming up as well. So we're really trying to push those... Fundamentals, for both our coaches and our players down there, to try and make them players for life. The better skills they have, hopefully, the longer they'll all stay in the game. And recruit a few more female
2: coaches would be nice. Oh, I have a question for you too, and I'm sure that maybe my club and your club um, and a lot of other clubs have exactly the same uh, problem where we're getting, we might be getting to capacity a certain times of the year or certain years and then we have to start looking at where else are we going to play and who are we going to talk to about that and who are we going to lobby in the government but does it mean that things are getting overused and the grass is getting thinner and people are getting grumpy with each other or are you finding that they're becoming uh, quite used to these scenarios and how to deal with it and they're working together as volunteers to come up with good solutions and work with other others outside of the soccer space
3: Um, I think one of the advantages we've been very spoiled having Warhop as a purely female space, Um, so having to go back to sharing. We've had a few little hiccups along the way Um, and Bruce Lee is in for a tough season. We are trying to do a a lot of negotiating and making sure we can try and keep that pitch functional this season. It's going to be... Be interesting. Yeah, because there's not really a club room down there, is there? There's the, kind of a little space. There's a little space. There's toilets. There's a change rooms. Um, there's enough to sort of get us through, but it's not a huge facility down there. Um, but much the same as Warhawk facility, desperately needed the renovations that are under the process as well to get more female friendly space. A
2: Bruce Lee upgrade might be next on the cards.
3: Oh look, we're putting our hand up for everything. We're uh, you know we're, we're petitioning for more lights and more grounds and more. There's, we've actually got a whole team actively trying to. Work on space further. But didn't forever? the previous
0: federal government um, allocate funds with the state and local government to upgrade facilities for women?
3: Yeah, and I think, but there's so many clubs looking for a piece of the pie. We've definitely had a lot of support from our government, local government, um, in the Warhop upgrade, um, which has been exciting. Um, but as there is always construction delays, but there's so many clubs buying for that money, and in the female space, certainly. We desperately need so much. I mean, over the years, not many clubs do have, you know, sometimes you're struggling for female toilets, let alone female change rooms, or enough change rooms for the women to use them. So I think everything we invest in is just wonderful wonderful Mm. opportunity there is so much more growth um there and so much more room for development certainly as the female game changes it's exciting to see players now who've been playing from a young age coming through the women and children and girls leagues to see where they're going to go is exciting we're actually ending up with interesting having to work on our pathways a lot more because you now have the players who are there for the social fitness exercise and we have young players who are driven young ladies looking for a future and we've got more and more of those so trying to make sure we've got space for them which is why we put um got a few girls in our academy team now um side of things as well so we are trying to provide for those who've got elite plans as well as those who are there for the the heart and the love and the passion
2: and in the social side of it as well so yeah and it's a big balance isn't it because you'll find this pyramid of their big base is the community football and then as they get older and then they find out what their pathway in football is The pyramid is narrow at the top but that's what probably requires the most resources and money to function and it comes from that bigger base which is community football and how do you balance you know the the money and and making sure the connect is there
3: as well yeah and this is one of the reasons i've ended up at fremantle i have two young two young players with uh, female players with football ambitions um and making sure they have someone with a pathway so that they can grow and develop and without the big radical changes, there's natural progressions yes. um, to allow players to fill in for higher level teams and have a little run and see what they can do um, and to go down and watch the, the NPL women and be inspired um, and starting to get them out now doing um, ball girls and mascots at halftime, trying to get them that exposure of, like, they're, you know, there is a future. You can uh, commit and put
2: some hard work in and, you know, see where the world takes you. What about uh, role models at the club? So you, you at your club, your highest-ranked team is yes. the women's NPR. So surely you've got some players there that... Uh, and I know Tash Rigby is there. We are the, so blessed to have yeah. Tash. Tash, um, if you want to talk with Tash, get inclined because she just
3: makes time for <laughs> everybody. Um, she is just an amazing attribute and inspiring to the girls. Like, she's so warm and friendly um, I had ball girls and that down at the game the other day. The players came out, they spoke to them, they had a little chat... Um, Faye is amazing as well, and her she's an inspirational leader. Um, and making sure we're going to also getting the players to come That's down. Faye Cham- Chambers, yes, Faye Chambers is also um, our wonderful ambassador and things for the uh, World Cup coming. Um, but yeah, she's also going to have the players coming down to the Junior League teams and making an appearance, getting to know them, and being that role model, which I'm so excited about.
0: I like to tap into Tasha's energy levels. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. She's <laughs>
3: good luck with that.
0: She's amazing isn't yeah. she she's really she like you say she's very so enthusiastic and um, promoting the game and out there um, meeting with the girls it's fantastic to have a role model like her
3: but yeah even like you know our captain down there she was amazing just you know chatting with the girls and just making them feel welcome yeah. um, and just knowing that these are real people that you really can aspire to be is just exactly really
0: cool. and and they're very, and they their contribution. To the girls, they don't realise how much influence they actually got on them.
3: Oh, yeah. Just that one little chat goes such a long way. The girls really relish it. Yeah. Um, And knowing that, you know, there is a future you can get, play sport. For long life. I mean, gone are the days of, oh, I've had children, no more sport for you. Um, Being able to come back to sport and play on and things. And certainly inspirational, like our Matilda's, we've been watching the Matilda series, of course. Um, And you know, people coming back after children, you can still go back and play for the Matilda's. Like, kind of wonderful message you'll be sending out to uh, uh, to our youth.
2: Yes amazing how that's changed too if you think of um melissa barbieri who played for the matildas and what she went through to have time off and then go go back into it i think was it heather garrioc as well um and then the then you look at um katrina Gorry, who's now who's playing for the matildas right now and she she, and and look the the three different stories or at the three different periods of Uh, women's football and how it's progressed and changed for the better where um, it's okay to step out of the game and then it's okay to step back into the game as a mum Um, and how far we've come in changing our ideas of you know accepting this is okay and supporting those players along the way to still achieve what that they need and what we want from them. I mean, in the women uh, watching the, the documentary, it's interesting. They're now allowing
3: families to come to camp, so they're allowing these people to actually bring their kids, yep. so they can still have that nice base of security and still get their football. is um, very yep. inspiring. Like it's really cool. Yeah. But the girl, yeah, the females' games come such a long way. I mean, I was coaching you know girls tens many years ago with my eldest, and you were playing generally other teams who are uh, their first season out. They've never played before. Whereas nowadays you have um, teams who who are well and truly developed. I mean, we've got 10s down in our um, generic junior league um, as well and the academy teams down that are just absolutely tearing up the pitch and doing amazing things at age 10. Um, You've got, you know, I coached in that space and you've got kids that aren't watching cartoons on a Saturday morning. They're sneaking in a few games before the day's outings in both the boys and the girls and that's just really inspiring.
2: Now, before we finish this conversation, uh, I did see something on a page over the last uh, couple of days. I think it was the WA Lost football uh, page, Facebook group, about Lou Rickey, who was uh, probably one of the godfathers of um, the Shemantle area. Um, I remember when I was 13 when I first started playing football and there was a pre-season carnival, women's football carnival. Uh, There was only one age group. Back then there wasn't all these tiers. There was probably... Two divisions of women's football, and that was it. And uh, Lou was probably president of East Fremantle Tricolori back then. He in that was, stage. yeah, and yeah.
0: he also saw uh, soccer federation. Yep, at and one stage, yep. and it was called WA. the Lou
2: Ricky Carnival. And he sponsored it from about I nineteen seventy nine, very early years of women's football, actually playing here in Western Australia to um, late eighties. And I remember him coming up to me, and and I was only little, a little stick and, and short, and he came up to me and he, his big hand grabbed me and said, welcome to women's soccer, because it was soccer back then, welcome to women's soccer. And I was like, thank you, Mr Ricky. <laughs> but even that in itself, like I've
3: actually had to get one of the team managers to come help me. There are so many cups and tournaments this year for females. I've actually had to get someone yes. to come and help because um, I love the tournaments. The kids get out there, they really bond, they connect. There's the crazy stuff that happens at lunchtime as well as what happens on the pitch. They're amazing. So Fremantle, we've really put a lot of effort into trying to get the girls, uh, a broad scope of girls, to as many of these tournaments as we can this year. But there is so many. It's yes. so exciting building into have the old club. Had to say no. And we also have the um, the festival coming up soon as well. Um, yep, July 15 and 16. Yes, that's going to be exciting. Um, and I think Fremantle are trying to put on more events as well to you know promote the women's world cup as well and i've sort of said to the team i don't know where you're going to fit it in have you seen the calendar yes, this year exactly um and that's just truly astounding i was down at the school girls um carnivals yesterday um and chatting to tony down there and our local division had 12 teams he's like this is the, the biggest division so how exciting that we're you know getting girls into football all over the place yes so Very it's cool. not
2: it's not just football west structured competitions it's uh Futsal and it's uh, school football. Mm. So it's not just us wanting grass space and space to play football. It is everyone out there, which is fantastic. Now, we are going to move on and uh, thanks very much, Yaz, for talking us through what's happening at Fremantle and its growth there. It's an amazing uh, beast by the sound of it uh, that you've got to manage there. <laughs> We're going to go to break and come back and chat more football with Brett Kluschnick. This is Penn and Yaz and Lou on the World Football Program.
5: Radio, Radio Fremantle, Fremantle, 107.9, 107.9 FM. FM.
4: Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsal.org futsalwa.org.au.
6: Do we really believe they come from somewhere else? Leagues and far off lands Galaxies full of superstars What if they were made right here? In the city streets and sun-drenched suburbs Small towns and home grounds Our parks and pitches aren't just rectangles of dirt and turf they're fertile grounds where greatness is unearthed. Where Rogic was raised, where cows was grown. Even if they end up there, they all start here. In front of our eyes and hearts. And right here is where you'll find the next one.
5: the glory and we're singing cause this story must be told we sing glory, come and glory glory boys give us a goal our king's a great tradition let the future now unfold when the glory marches on glory, glory glory Strike like lightning, On their goals will have a feast. Our defense will take all the blows of any from the east. You'll hear the crowd a roaring, and you'll know that we are one when the glory marches on. Glory.
2: Even remember what year that was, but I do think of that as the Perth 96. Thank you, 96. So that's uh,
0: Steve Armstrong, the man. Yeah, nice. What a great singer.
2: Yes, he was a great MC.
0: Yeah, that too.
2: (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. What's
0: happened to him, by the way?
2: I have no idea. Maybe Brett knows. Brett, do you know where Steve Armstrong is these days?
1: (laughs) <laughs> Curly <cool> question, eh? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Welcome,
0: <laughs> no, Brett. <laughs> no pre-warning there, Brett. Just throw you in the deep end.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I did see him in the last couple of years at Glory. I'm not sure what capacity. was. Yeah. remember
0: he, he was well, there. I that... He was there for the uh, 25th anniversary of Glory. Yeah,
1: I was going to. was about to say, I'm Sure, there was an anniversary just recent where he was. He was there, and they brought him back. I don't recall if he performed. Um, but, yeah, I know he was there and they brought a lot of the odd players back,
2: which was awesome to see. Yeah. Absolutely. So there was a little bit of a, a history there, wasn't it? Um, Brett Kluschnick is our guest on the line today. And we're talking history and football, which we don't talk enough about. But with the Women's World Cup, I feel that we've started to talk more about it. And there's certainly a lot more platforms online. There's the WA Lost Football site. There's the Australian Football History Page and there's a couple of others that uh, really throw some great photos and newspaper articles and memories up on them and get us talking. Like we talked uh, just recently on the show, Brett, about Lou Ricky and I can't remember if it was Got the it. WA lost football page where I saw that and it just brought back so much memory. And then we're talking to Yaz here about East Manner and of course it all clicked into place that you know there's people that have been around for so long and how do we remember them now? Where do we remember those those people?
0: Well, as soon as you see those posts on there, the reaction of the players who actually played with those people around the time or their opponents saying, you know, making comments about, you know, remembering playing in that era. So, yeah, it's a a really great tool to have um, with the uh, WA lost football. Um, But we're going to lose one of our own shortly, uh, Brett,
1: Yes, we are, unfortunately. Um, just before I get on to that, you're, you're right. Those, those Facebook posts are absolutely vital to us recording our history of the game. Um, as you said, someone will put a photo up, or I think the one with Lou Ricky was his son was asking for photos of his dad. Yes. Um, and the response from people who... Uh, Remembered him either as an administrator, or most primarily as an administrator or a team manager, or whatever it was. Association um, president, um, you know, they all come flooding back, and and that's what the history of the game is about, and that's what the role of the historian is: is to capture those those memories and those little pieces of gold that that um, with the the passing of time we tend to lose, and. One person, how this for a pretty cool segue, one person that's done that immeasurably for all of us is Richard Crider. Um, Now, Richard, I'm not sure too many people know, is about to leave our our shores and head back to Scotland or head to Scotland. Um, And Richard's contribution to the game here, as a, you know, he started out as a player, he moved into broadcasting and journalism. Um, and then as a historian and author, um, you know, the, the, the things he achieved and the, the landscape he set the scene for, um, we will be forever in debt to, to Richard. Um, well, the, yeah.
0: the, the book that he wrote... Um,
2: Paddocks to Pictures. Paddocks
0: to Pitches, you know, that's 12 years, 12 years of dedication of going through every newspaper article when it started in WA. I mean that's a hell of a lot of dedication, and that's well, doing it part time. By the way,
1: yeah, one hundred percent. But I mean, Richard did three books that you guys well know. Um, for the centenary of the game here, he wrote um, a Soccer Century, which was kind of laid the foundations for where he went with his, his third book. The um, so Soccer Century came out for the hundredth year of organized football in WA, and it looked at that period from eighteen. 96 to 1996, and he did. He shone that spotlight on those really foundation, those really early days of the game here. Um, and from that, it kind of evolved. His next next uh, football journalism, football writing adventure was a book called so- Soccer Rights, um, which came out you know sort of 11 years after a soccer century. And that looked at uh, that was an astonishing piece of work. I've got to for Richard, there, um, so that looked like looked at the state teams ten day a ten game tour of the eastern seaboard in 1909. So there's not a lot of source material around on that, but Richard got together all those little scrapes and little bits and pieces, and he produced a book which is just astonishing. Um, so I would recommend if anyone's not not delved into that that sort of side of our history again. It was, you know, you look at that, and that's. 13 years after football year started. And our state team is heading off over east, um, jumping on the train and playing 10 games in 49 days or something. Um, but again, he then moved on and seven years later, exactly what you're saying there, Lou, there is this massive, massive 800-page tome that he put together called "Pitchers for Paddocks. Uh, sorry, other way around. I always do that, Paddocks for pitchers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of attempts in the past, in the past 30, 40 years, to document the history of the game. Um, but most of them were based on word of mouth and you know, there were some holes in them and they never progressed beyond like a 40, 50s page treaty sort of thing. But what Richard did was he took that, those foundations, those base layers there, made use of the reference material that's available in the State Library Archive, spoke to people, cross-referenced his sources and all of that sort of thing and came up with this astonishing book which is, uh, you know, he dispelled a few inaccuracies that were around about early football.
0: He's very um, pedantic about that, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been in <laughs> conversations with him with amongst historians who <laughs> go, no, I don't remember that, that's not right. You yeah, know, this is over this way or that way and you're thinking... Okay. And they said, well, I'll go back to my reference. I'll check and I'll show it to yeah. you. And yeah, so he's very, and that, very pedantic. And, and that's
5: the thing with a historian,
1: it's all evidence based. Yeah. So,
0: that's you know, right.
1: If you come up with something yeah. which isn't evidence based, like, well, show me the show me the proof. Back
0: yeah, it up. that's it.
1: Um, and, and he produced this book, which is not just regarded as this, this astonishing publication within Western Australia, but it's recognised nationally as, you know, this is the kind of thing that you can produce. Um, with the time, the effort, the passion and I'd hate to think how many hours Richard sat up at the State Library going through old uh, microfilmed newspapers to cover the 125-ish years that he he
2: did. Brett, what astounds me too is that uh, Richard's been writing for so long and doing all this research way before mobile phones and the internet so mm. it was the, the hard yards so it was phone calls to people, it was going to the library and sitting down, it was finding paper documents, it was doing the travel, taking the photos, and now, to do it all over again, it would be entirely different to do that whole process.
1: obviously yeah. Look, as you said, Richard was doing the hard way, you know, he was doing, you know, writing letters to people in the eastern states and overseas who got some connection to the game. Um, Looking, going through those endless reams of microfilms at the State Library, phone calls, all of that stuff. Now, a lot of that, that, that research that he did at the State Library, you could do it online. Um, you know, so you can do it from the comfort of your home and there are search tools within there. So, you don't have to scroll through page after page after page. Um, and anyone that's done that sort of research where you do go through all newspapers, you know, a page at a time knows how draining that is. Um, you
0: know, I tip my hat to Richard. I've been there. I've done what he's trying, he did, and I could not do what he did. Well, we're we'll asking uh, him earlier in the in the show. How does one become a qualified historian? Yeah. Or is there a qualification? <laughs> or it's just a person who's got interest in a particular item, and they do all the research and they you know learn about the history and then pass it on.
2: And then become known in their local community as a historian inverted commas. What do you reckon, Brett? Uh, I think it
1: kind of evolves organically. You, know, mm. you, you start off with an interest or a passion in something and you start digging into it and suddenly you find these little stories and you want to know more about them and these little stories build up into this big story um, and suddenly you've realised you've got this body of research that is really important and suddenly, it also dawns on you, you've suddenly become a, a historian, a, a researcher. Um, I don't think it's anything that anyone specifically jumps into and thinks, oh, I can be a, re- a historian on this, um, because there's so many little steps that you get to to become that. And, you know, there is a career as a historian with state archives and museums, but that's not the path 95% of us go down Um yeah, it, it's an interesting journey. As you've said, it's it's, uh, it's one of those odd ones where you you do you wake up one day and you go, oh, there's this whole world that's open to me and people are now referring to me and asking me questions about that thing that I researched 10, 15 years ago. And you, you then have this standing within the community that
5: people recognise you as a historian.
0: Um, well, he's also had help um, with other... Australian historians, you know, Andrew Hove and... Yeah.
2: Andrew Howe from... Um, it's, is he work for Football Australia or is he... Well, the two,
0: well, two of them, uh, Richard and and him, have been on the Football Australia Histori- uh, History... Historical <laughs> Committee, sorry. Um, they
2: don't have that anymore, do they?
0: Oh, Richard's still part of it. He, so
2: they actually have a historical committee on Football Australia? Yes. Okay.
0: So a yeah panel of football historians that he's part of. Yes, that's right. I don't
2: don't actually hear anything about that.
0: Well, because they're working in the background. You know, when um, I remember there were awards, you know, being named after people, so they go to them and say, well, who were the prominent people in Australia at the Mm. time? Who were the ones that, you know, we should be naming this award after and and so on? Um, And they did it locally here through the... uh, back in the day with the Football Hall of Fame. But, um, Brett, he, he had excelled um, with his research in Australia, so unfortunately with him leaving, um, the best part of it now is that we've got technology and we can still do FaceTime or if you need to contact him or yeah. uh, Zoom or whatever the case may be or send a text or email. Um, so even though you're on the other side of the world, he's not going to erase his memory, but he's also already started talking about when he goes to Scotland to volunteer at a local club there and help out and, you know, do some journalism work or, uh, announcing at the uh, ground or whatever. So yeah, yeah, you can't get it out of the blood.
1: No, no, that's right. I mean, he's, as you said, he's talking about you know, heading to Scotland. Um, that's a definite. What he does there is a kind of bit up in the air, but he's already looking at these different avenues he's got available in terms of being a, a, a football fan, primarily, because that's why we're all here. You are on the radio show for that purpose. I'm there as well. Um, and then he's looking at how he contribute, how he can utilise his skills that he's developed over the you know, 25, 30 years here in WA. Um, in, in the UK, but just going back to something very quickly, the Penny said you never see, you never hear what the, of what of these football historians that they're out there. You know the National Panel of Football Historians in Australia, for example. You're right. You don't hear of the people, and most of most of people that are involved in history and research don't want that limelight. But you know what? You see their output because you see we had the 100th centenary or 100th year last year of football, um, the the Socceroos' first game against New Zealand in 1922, you saw a whole bunch of social media posts, Facebook posts and website posts about different stories and different pieces of that that journey that Socceroos have been on. They all come through those, those panels of football historians and researchers and so forth. Um, and there are a lot of people involved in getting those things out. It's not just, you know, one or two people. There's a whole team of people um, from different states contributing little bits into those, those things. So while you don't know the names behind it, you do see the outputs and the stories and, and the successes that
4: come with them.
2: Yes, um, Andrew Howe and Greg Werner are the two that come to mind about the Matildas and the Socceroos Encyclopaedias. That. Think of Richard's book, which is about I don't know 25 centimetres by about 100 mil thick and times that by about two. Um, then you find uh, a Matilda's Encyclopedia and a Socceroos Encyclopedia. And, uh, and these guys, uh, I know Greg is very active on the Australian football history page, which it connects people from everywhere and they add their memories yeah. into it. And that's, that in itself is a wonderful resource for writing a book. Oh, my God.
9: I
1: yeah, there's, there's lots of things. You know, I said earlier, there's, there's little stories and you sort of dig into them and you go down rabbit holes and suddenly you find it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're looking at some obscure website with some vague reference to football. <laughs> um, it's kind of what happens to you. It, it, it's, it's fascinating and it's interesting. Um, but, you know, all of us nationwide internationally we all do it and richard's been doing it for uh, a very long time and doing it exceptionally well um well what's good about
0: be... facebook too sorry brett is yeah. that now um Bre- uh, richard found it very hard to get a publisher to publish the book yeah. um, so it's not only gathering that information uh, constructing the information but to actually get it published back in the day was so difficult that you had to convince a publisher it was worthwhile from a monetary point of view. And, you know, Richard would never get the money back that he put in into the book um, for the labour of love that he did it. So Facebook now has given the, everyone the opportunity to, oh, I just thought of this, take a... You know, I remember this photo of um, a player or... Uh, an official or whatever, they post it and all of a sudden all these flooding stories come in. And, yeah, yeah. And that's the history being relieved.
2: I thought when you published a book, this is because I'm just not sure, I thought you take the budget to the publisher and they do it because you pay them. I, I no, did...
0: you pay them for the printing, you pay them for the... High, that's why he said to me, Richard said, yeah. some were paperback and some were hardcovers. It just depended, but he had to pay for that. Not the publisher. Ah, yeah. oh. the publisher yeah. only will bound the book and then try and promote it. But yeah, I, I was at his launch. I, I remember it quite vividly. Mm. So yeah, okay.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so it's so now. I, I think, sorry, Brett. Go on.
2: So
1: I was just going to say. I think though, uh, you know, while we're talking about Rich, I think one thing we we do tend to forget is. Um, Richard wasn't just a historian or a journalist, either. So he played here for in the amateur ranks for, you know, 17-20 odd years with Morley and Lathlane Miyaza.
0: And he was a board member. He was a board member of as well. Yeah.
1: Spot on. Yeah, he played played for the state amateur team for about 10 years. He um played in national futsal tournaments. And then as you said Lou, he went into administration with the, the amateur associations, so we had a couple of spells there, and then you know it, it, it evolved. It evolved. Um, he then went into media with Radio 6NR. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the Sunday evening programs yep. where they would have the
0: round the grounds. And the, yeah.
1: <laughs> the amateurs, yep, and all that stuff. That was fantastic those days. Um, and then from there around that same time, he was looking at he or he was writing for the Sunday Times and the Daily News and a few other little soccer publications that we had going around the time. So this, this whole story with Richard, you know, you look at it and it, it actually stands back 50 years, you know, um, which to me is astonishing that this guy's contribution to our game covers him as a player, as a, a journalist, as a broadcaster, as a historian and researcher and an author.
0: And um, aesthetician, statistician for... Yeah.
1: Yeah, yes, yes, because he was doing things with the um, the A League on gay time, game day at, at Perth Glory games. A photographer. Yeah, I first met Richard sitting down um,
0: behind the goals. at
1: <laughs> Perth Glory games. Yeah, behind the goal at Perth Glory games, taking photos in the in 1996, 97, thereabouts, and yeah. and from there we got chatting, and you know, uh, became friends over the next X number of years. How many men that is thirty odd years. Um, so you know he's had lots of different lives in football, and and these books were the culmination. Um, but yeah, he achieved so much in the game. It's 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 it, it, we're going to miss him. Yeah, also. he's going to be yeah. sadly as football his. community.
9: Yeah,
2: and some yeah. Of the, some of the names that he's been involved with too. Um, Andrew How always brings to to mind. Um, a very similar kind of uh, portfolio, I, I think. Um, and Mel Moffat also comes to mind. Um, Mel yeah. Moffat, who was long lived at the West Australian and Football Hall of Fame, and yeah,
0: Russell Whitson as well. He's passed now, but he yeah. he, he had a, lot, a hell of a lot of knowledge as well. And that's the problem with the human brain, right? You can't tap into it with it, and you know, just download all the memory from it because you can imagine how much is up there. That's why
2: you have kids and write books. (laughs)
0: Okay, right. And do
2: blogs.
1: And that, exactly what you said there, Lou, is what the role of the historian is is to capture those stories, those memories, and turn
9: them into something magical that inspires other people to go, wow, I want to know more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, Which is exactly what Richard has done.
2: Yeah. 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 Brett, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we tried to qualify what a historian was. We don't think we quite did. But <laughs> I, I think that you can, I think we can call you the understudy to Richard Crider. Um, and, and look, we can talk about other people in there too, like um, uh, Jacob Camp. Uh, did I get his surname correct? How did I do yeah. that? Yes, okay. Um, Jacob and uh, Pete Simcox is another person that comes to mind having been involved with our local statistics and and history and and keeping things alive. I mean, the the guys that have been around for a long time know what was before and what's now and what's coming and, and we... We we love having people like you involved, so that we can have these chats and remember things and then connect things. So keep doing what you're doing; it's yeah. great stuff. Well, no,
1: thank you. I, I will just say though that you know while it's it's an honour to be compared to Richard, there'll be never be another Richard. Um, that's just how it is. Um, I'll do the best I can, and people after me in years to come will do the best they can. But Richard is unique, and we will never see someone. Um, Of his caliber again, you know. It's a sad truth, but um, I need to
0: say that.
2: Well, we we hope that the people that are involved today will become the Richards of tomorrow.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, history's made every day, right? History's (laughs) being made every day. Every time there's a game, you know. I've never seen a player like that before, and all this sort of stuff, and then they become champions. As we're talking earlier about, you know, Sam Kerr. You know, yeah, we've seen her as a 12-year-old and, and now to aspire yep. to where she is, uh-huh. we're seeing and history was, being made every day.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, and we've got a very massive piece of our history on our doorstep step in two months' time.
0: Yeah, exactly right. For enormous.
9: Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yep, yep. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate your chat. Have a fantastic weekend and enjoy whatever football comes your way. Likewise, folks. Good on Cheers. you. See yeah Bye. That was Brett Klushnik, a local historian and with time I'm sure he'll be up there with the Richard Criders one day. Richard's um, injected a a massive amount of his knowledge and brought together a massive amount of history over the time that he's been involved uh, with football. Yeah, and it is um, in in the background. They're very quietly working away and doing their thing and uh, we often don't talk about things like that but... uh, still happens
0: well when we saw him the other day for lunch you know it was an unofficial send-off because if i told him we were going to have a lunch to send him off he wouldn't have turned up no. because he's that sort of person yeah. he doesn't like the limelight he no he likes to do things in the background and contribute Yeah, there's a lot of people like that too
2: yes that's the way that he works he's, his legacy is noted um in documents and in the relationships and connections that he's built and the way that he that he's engaged over the decades that he's been involved in football. So, yes, a, a legacy indeed. Well done, Richard Crider. We are going to go to a break and come back and chat more football, of course. Our last guest on the show is Tom Jeffcoat, the author of Together. This is Penn and Yaz and Lou on the World Football
5: Programme. 7.9 FM, your
2: local station. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all Gate and Fence Hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor.
10: Oswest Fencing and Tine is a fourth generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Time. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor.
6: Ronaldo, Rooney,
7: Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out a-leaguestats.com my website, where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening in to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle and we appreciate you tuning in.
2: Welcome back to the World Football Programme. Pen and Yaz and Lou with you. And the background to that last promo was something that Les Murray got together, the late Les Murray. I love that. I forget what it's called. I remember seeing the video on YouTube and thought, Les Murray, that was pretty cool. My daughter loved it, so we put it into the backing theme of that little promo with Pete there. Pete's part of our world football team. He'll be on in the next couple of weeks. You're back with us, and we are talking to Tom Jeffcote, the author of Together. Good morning, Tom. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Penny, how are you?
2: Wonderful accent. Where's that come from, Tom?
1: (laughs) The Republic of East
0: London.
2: <laughs> <laughs> good, lad, good lads, good lads. It's
0: a good passport to get in that part of London, is it? Absolutely. <laughs> and even more to get out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, if you have a good accent, it's great great listening material on the radio, Tom. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got you on to have a chat about uh, what's happening at uh, Balga Soccer Club. Actually, is it Balga Sports Club or is it Balga Soccer Club? No. Soccer
1: Club, Balga Soccer
2: Club. Yes, I actually read somewhere that it was Balga Sports Club on the net, but I wondered about that. So, about
1: uh, <laughs> You've got me there. As far as I know, it's Balga Soccer Club, no, SC.
2: That's totally okay. So Balga Soccer Club, are a pretty yep. unique club, and you've written a book called Together. Tell us yeah. about the project.
1: Yeah, well, um, about two years ago, I saw a program. I was watching the news on television, and... Um, uh, it, it covered they visited Balga and then we're talking about this program where they were providing fee-free soccer for kids uh, And I thought gee what a great idea, but I was pretty busy at that time About six months later um, in other words about 18 months ago. I contacted the club and spoke to Ken Shorto the president And I said look I read by what you're doing. Um, I work as a volunteer um, I am a trained coach um, I, I just wonder if you've got any opportunities for me there. So he said, come along, meet up. So a few days later, I, I walked with him around the club. And if you look at the... I think you've got the book there in front of you. The, the thing that that um, sold me was when he he showed me the the map of the world that they have there with the dots in from various countries from where it's on uh, page five uh, where the family or uh, the origin of the families of the club and I looked at that like you look at it and it's like Africa so many from Africa East Europe it's like whoa yeah as well as plenty of other countries and I thought I want to be part of this club this 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 excites me so I joined and uh, did a bit of football coaching and then I suppose Six months ago, eight months ago, something like that, I said to Ken, do you have any projects for me to do other than a bit of coaching? Um, And he knows that I do a bit of writing. He said, well, the history of the club needs to be written. And I said, well, yeah, so long as it's not just about the statistics and results, that wouldn't interest me. Um, I'm very interested in talking to the people here, the people that run the club, the people that come along. And he said, "Yeah, go for it." So I start I said, "All right, maybe about twenty interviews," and started uh, doing the interviews. I showed. I said, "Look, what I will do? I do five first, and show you, and see if we're on the right track here." Did that? Yep, yeah, fine. So then um, off I went with the other fifteen or so, and 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 photos as well because that that makes such a difference when you all right you hear stories of people and where they've come from, but immediately you can look at. At them and see, oh yeah, okay. I'm um, looking now, just turn the book over to Bue from uh, and her son Nathan uh, from uh, Ryan, uh, Myanmar and um, and how she was part of a persecuted Karen community there. And casually mentioned when I was talking to her um, 18 years in a refugee camp. I mean, Bob was the mind? But she's just because when I said, look, I've got a gap here, you were in Thailand for 18 years, but How long were you in a refugee camp? And she said, eighteen years. And other stories as well. So yeah, that's that's what I did. And there we go.
2: (laughs) That sounds like a a real community, multicultural diversity, and that's what Australia's about, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, but well, particularly uh, uh, Balga. I can't speak for other clubs, but you know, you look through that and you know there are people there from south sudan from bosnia from northern ethiopia somalia Myanmar, as i just mentioned uh, sarajevo albania cambodia it's almost like a list of the world's trouble spots there (laughs) and these people have have come as well as places like britain and um, germany less threatening places and they've come here to to make their home And you know you look at the little kids and they're running around and uh, They're all colours, from black to white and everything in between, but they all love soccer. And I was talking to my wife the other day about the whole project, and if it had been any other sport, I don't think I could have done it. Um, It's because I have a love of soccer... That I, that I could see how they could love it as well. That I could write about this with, with interest and, and I guess with passion uh, because you see these little kids, boys and girls, you know, and they're running around and they're trying, trying to get the ball and kicking. And there's never any, I think gee, you've come from countries where there's probably all sorts of tensions. You never see it. You, you, there might be a tension of pass the ball, pass the ball, but it's, it's like that. It's not, nothing ethnic or religious. And it's yeah, it's beautiful to
0: see. So when did the club actually establish themselves?
1: Uh, it's on the front here. Uh, 1971, they set up, and and it was basically a British club club then. So I found out. See, I have nothing to do. I've had nothing to do with Balga before this. I've never lived there. I've never played for them. Mm. Um, I live in Subiaco, nowhere near Balga. Um, and so I've been learning about the club myself as well. It basically started off as a British club uh in 1971 and for some years they were just
0: basically they reflected the local population which was British. Yeah they went then went the on to play to the, uh, within the the state league and they had some prominent players yeah. there. and at one stage they had uh Peter Burke being the son at the time of yeah. um Brian Burke. Brian Burke yes. who was the yes. uh Premier of the day, and that's yeah. when they he offered football ten million dollars to build a stadium, um, right. and there was confrontation with the chairman at the time of Soccer Federation WA, and said right. no, which we could have killed oh. him at the time. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. and here we are, twenty twenty three, and we're only getting the stadium built now. So, yeah. So it was a it was a prominent club uh, at that time.
1: Yeah. Well one of the stories that I was told from a couple of old timers, you know, guys that played in the past was how they used to have, how much Brian Burke used to support the club. And yes. um, one of the guys said it's in the book. We had him here in the stocks one day, people were throwing tomatoes at him to, <laughs> to raise money, you know. He <laughs> was a good sport. <laughs> jeez, okay, yeah, right. Um so yeah, um, and I mean Ray Island also used to play for him yeah. for a little while. Will he kill and him? And Ray Island yeah, Ray Isler, I knew from back, back in East London. Uh, I used to do a bit of reporting for the Stratford Express and, and Ray used to play for, if my memory's right, late, I think it was at the time. And so I met up with him again when I came over here and showed him some of the clippings of what, what I'd written about him. And, oh, I remember that in <laughs> the Yeah.
2: It, it's good, isn't so, it? And we've, we've been talking about historians and collecting information and, and how people... Yeah. We don't really talk about it in the way that we talk about someone who wins a football game or someone who's playing for the Matildas or the Socceroos, but by time yes. it happens and we probably don't keep enough of the information that tells a story about the game, really. Yes. And yeah. we're we not really an old sport here in Australia, right? We're only 100 and something years old, so um, yep. not that much information maybe in some clubs. And one thing that has struck me too about here in Perth anyway is that there's a lot of clubs are part of other clubs. So they don't just have their own designated space. They share it with other sports or other parts of the club. So they don't have a trophy cabinet or an honour board (laughs) or their own room to dedicate or tribute to these things.
1: Yes. Whereas at Bulga, they have their own club rooms. Um, They do, I I believe, they share their ground now with, I think it's East Perth, uh, sort of club um, but the actual um, they do have their own club rooms with, with photos and shirts you know and, uh, display shirts and that sort of thing and a bar as well you know so and there was a lot of effort to do that so I'm told and I'm talking to some of the guys here the, the, all the, the fundraising they had to do and, and and also to put a fence around the whole playing fair area yeah. you know those things don't come cheap so but the all, previous all
0: them, premier too uh I remember Colin Barnett making an announcement on, for funding at the club. But what's changed in the club once that funding was um, given to to the club? What did they use that funding for? Well, I I don't know when that
1: was. Um, it's
0: about five six years ago now. I recall. Okay. Oh, yeah. was, I don't it, know. was that
2: when Balga was looking to move up into the higher divisions, and they had to put uh, fencing around the club? Uh, yeah, uh,
0: and it also I think it was a, a multicultural uh, grant as well because they recognised the the mix of people at the club as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it might have been that, but look, um, I'm not going to pretend I know something. I don't. I, I, I don't know it, what specifically that was. How that's been used, I don't
9: know.
2: Yep. You've got some pretty um, interesting characters in that book of yours, Tom. Um, Jack, we were talking earlier about uh, history and um, one yeah. of the people that uh, has had a lot to do with history, uh, with Balga and local WA history, is Jacob Alf. Uh, Alf- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good,
1: yeah, good luck with that one. I, I have difficulty pronouncing his name Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's one of the characters that I interviewed, yeah.
2: Yep, yep. So he's, he does a lot with the, um, I think it's Soccer oh. WA site and then the WA Lost Football site. I think that he was the originator of, of that page as well. Yeah, There's a lot of yep. interaction on that and um, yeah, he, he's uh, also NPL in, in page, NPL and State League uh, men's page as well. Oh, okay, PL.
9: okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, so he gets out of so, the
2: community. Great character.
1: Yes, and he loves the, the, the history and the statistics and all that. You know, he <laughs> I enjoyed talking to him uh, and yeah, I, I had to sort of say, look, it's about the characters rather than, well, in 1974, <laughs> we moved up a division and it's
9: like,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Each to the right, Tom. Um, there was a lot of characters yeah, exactly. in the 70s and they could express themselves back in their day. They seem so robotic now, you know, and they seem to be angry all the time, you know. Ah, I, I right. remember um, there was a player, Alan Clark, who played for Leeds United, very cheeky yes. player. He was a forward Um Yes. And he would you know, he scored a goal and then he shimmy his backside and you know <laughs> this sort of going on back in the day. But you know Yeah. We've lost that now, don't you think Tom? Yeah.
1: Jacob certainly didn't shimmy his backside when I was talking. Tw- <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, Yes, I think if we're looking at like the world game, like the Premier, and all that, yeah, they they they're so scared of saying the wrong thing, and there's so much money involved that you you, you miss some of that passion, that that instant reaction to something. It's like, don't say that, you know. <laughs> so we're back in the day they could more or less say what they liked and do do what they liked. And, yeah, players like Charlie George for Arsenal, No, mm. you could go on and on. There were sort of characters on the field. Rodney Marsh. Um, yeah, he played with Georgie George Best mm. at Fulham. Yes, George Best, who yeah. a wonderful talent. Um, yeah. and retired when he was 27, if I remember rightly. Uh, That's came and played a match out here, I think. I think he played he, he, for... He played
0: um, for Osborne yeah. Park, Gallup, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah.
2: Hey yeah. Tom, how yes. how does uh, Balga get the sports minister and local members to give some media attention to this book of yours? How, how did that happen? Uh,
1: well, it, it was launched about two weeks ago, and um, we invited our—I didn't, but uh, Ken Ken Shorter, the president, invited the two. Um, MPs of the area, one state MP and the other um, the, uh, federal MP, to come along and launch the book. So we did that, and uh, from that, so so it, we, they took they 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 sell for ten bucks each these books, and both of them took from uh, ten books each. They took them away with them, and obviously it impressed. Um, God, I'm struggling to remember a name. The local the local member. Uh, Anyway, it, it impressed her enough to then present it officially to the Minister for Sport. Um, and that, I didn't know anything about that until I looked on the Balga website and uh, there was the picture and uh, presented my little book um, to the sports minister. So, it, I, look, she, when she took them, she, did, she didn't say she was going to do that, but I, I can only think that she looked through it and thought, uh, yeah, it's a good little book, I want, I want to share it.
0: And the royalties haven't stopped rolling in, now, Tom. Is that right?
1: <laughs> I do. It, I do everything uh, voluntary. I yeah. Everything like most provide, people. I, and, I don't. And it's not to make, you. Yeah, I don't make one penny out of this. In fact, I bought thirty books at ten bucks each to give to my friends. So I actually put money <laughs> into it. Um, no, it's look. The fact is, I'm I'm retired from paid work. Yeah. M- my wife and it's I, have kids, had long, 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 yeah. You know, grown up and moved out. We have enough money to live on. We, we don't need more money, and working voluntarily, and I know because I used to also work not voluntarily, you're losing a certain amount of freedom. Um, because if you say, okay, well that's going to cost you X amount of dollars, and you agree to it, then almost certainly it's, going. can you also do this as well? And you can feel, oh yeah, all right, they're paying me. Whereas as a volunteer, you can say, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So the lady's name I'll that I'll you couldn't up. remember is Mer- Meredith Hammett. Yes, thank you.
1: Yes, I'm embarrassed I couldn't uh, no, remember okay. her name. But I had, sitting here at my table, I had no way. Of locating okay, but thank you. Yeah, Meredith,
2: yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. So, t- t- <laughs> yeah. so, Tom, tell us about the fee-free playing side of the club and the impact that it's had on the club.
1: Sure. Well, it, it's it's not entirely, entirely fee-free. It costs... 45 bucks to join the club, 45 bucks a year. But that covers a whole family. Once that's been paid by the family, then any number of their kids under 18 can play for free. So, you, you know, you might have two kids or three kids or one kid, but they, they play for free. Um, and how it's impacted on the numbers, like it started about five years ago, apparently, so so I've been told. Um, and it started before that, there was about 100 to 120 um under 18 kids shortly after that covid arrived and everything just went blank for a couple of years you know we all remember what it was like and and in the last year or so of course it started up again we're now looking at the in a year ago, there was about 200 kids who were under 18, and now, at the start of this season, there's about 250. So it, they're the sort of figures that's sort of increased. This year, at a 25% increase. They were actually queuing up the other night when I was here to register to pay the 45 bucks. But what Ken also said, and, and he, he made a point of, you know, please say this, is the increase in the both the number and the quality of the helpers. The people who come along, the parents, the grandparents, the volunteers like myself who have no literal connection with the club—like my sons don't play there or, you know, or anything like that—and we come along and, and and help out as well. And so you go there and you see, like, there's a, a on match days, there's a little canteen and mm-hmm. behind the counter is maybe three people who are all volunteers. They're all connected to the club. Maybe their kids are playing, um, so they do that. We sell coffees and chips and whatever and of course make money from it and that's how the club can keep going without those fees i mean um my grandson um who's 11 plays for a local team and i asked his dad my son how much it was costing it's about 400 bucks a year and i understand this is pretty normal and a lot of these parents if not more yeah yeah uh, well, well okay um but, you you know, you, you've, you can imagine looking at somebody, so many of these parents, they're, they're refugees. They're trying to set themselves up in this country. Mm-hmm. And if they have, like, uh, you know, Grace there is one of them. She's got three kids. That would be, like, 1200 bucks. I haven't asked her. Yes, I wouldn't. It's too personal. But I, I doubt if she could afford it. And therefore, their kids, and she's from South Sudan, who produced a number of really good footballers, uh, those kids would miss out. They, they wouldn't be able to play, whereas... That was a let's play, and the other thing is we have no trials. Um, You know, when I first went, there's no trials here. You know, imagine saying to your kid, uh, "Sorry, you're not good enough to play." You know, so there's a variety of uh, qualities in their skill, um, from very good to yeah, okay, (laughs) keep trying. But they all play, uh, and, and so that's that's great. It's part of why I love being part of that club.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that's great. Do you know overall how many people are registered in the club?
9: Oh,
2: um, no, I don't, mean, t- I don't mean to put you on the spot. There. I just wondered. You said there was about two hundred and fifty kids. I just wondered if there was the same amount of of adults playing in social images. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, of um, well, of course, they'd be over eighteen, and they would be paying. You know, this is only for kids under eighteen. So I'm you've just, got uh, yeah, you've got the masters team, you've got the first team, you have the reserves and uh, Under-18s, I suppose. They're not paying. Um, I'd be guessing um, you're probably looking at at least 50. um, Well, be more than that. Um, You're probably looking at maybe 60, 70, maybe even 80 um, adults who are are members of the club, either as players or helpers.
2: And do you think that – you mentioned – the numbers and quality that Kenneth referred to is that because yep. you've retained the families like they enjoy the philosophy of the club and they're happy with the yep. qualities of the club so they've just retained because re- turnover is a really big thing in football so if they're happy with yep. things you hopefully you retain them
1: yeah look it's not that there isn't turnover i'm sure there is i've noticed um, a couple of kids that were there last year don't seem to be there this year but yeah it, it happens but there's so many that were there last year and are there now, plus others. Um, and you know, <clears throat> on uh, I do a bit of coaching on Thursday night, and uh, mainly the young kids, around about seven-year-olds, six-year-olds, and you see the parents lined up on the on the, on the fence behind, and you know they're talking to each other mm. and sometimes encouraging their sons and or daughters. And uh, so, and because the, the thing about this club is. Because they're expected to be involved, this is this is the, the quid pro quo. It's like okay, it's not going to cost you anything beyond the forty-five bucks. But you're expected to do something.
9: Um,
1: so when they are, for example, working in the canteen or being a manager of the club, of the sorry of the team, um, they have to interact with other volunteers, and therefore conversations start, which would presumably never have started previously, uh, and therefore you know communities are built, and you, you'll see. People of diverse um, geographical backgrounds working together. Um, Build and, it and they will
2: come, right, Tom? Pardon? Build it and they will come. Isn't that, isn't that well, a famous thing? Yes. Yeah, we've, yeah, you, yeah. Tom, we've, we've got to let you go. We've got uh, someone else ready to move into this space now, but I really do oh, appreciate you, know, you coming on and telling problem. us about the project. It's wonderful what you've done. And uh, thanks Thank for you. sharing about the Balga Soccer Club. Appreciate you, No time. worries.
1: Okay, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Tom. See you later. Bye. No worries. Bye.
2: That was Tom Jeffcott, who is author of Together, written about characters from the Balga Soccer Club. Guys, it's the end of our show today. Lou, thank you. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me.
0: Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. They're well-deserved and always selfless, so, um, yeah. Absolutely.
3: Share. Make sure they have a coffee in hand for the game on Sunday.
2: Hey? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everyone.